because we are observing parent-child dedication today, I wanted us to look at one particular verse of Scripture this morning and just camp out in it because I am afraid that while this is one of the most commonly used, quoted, known Scriptures when we think about parenting, when we think about raising children, I believe it's also one of the most misunderstood principles and passages in the Bible. And so I want us to kind of explore that this morning, hopefully so that we can come to a really clear understanding of exactly what this common scripture means. And it's Proverbs 22, verse 6. And we know it, the NIV says, Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Very common passage you've heard before. Everybody's heard that growing up. Uh, we, we think of that verse quite often. That's actually the reference that is on the certificates that our families received this morning. Because there is much truth in that proverb. But I also fear that we have misunderstood the nature of that passage as being included in the book of Proverbs. And in our misunderstanding... I'm afraid that we've done a couple of things. I'm afraid that we've put an unfair, unrealistic burden onto the backs and hearts of parents. And at the same time, because we maybe misunderstood exactly what this verse means, that we've missed the urgency that this verse holds for us as parents and as a church family. And so... This morning, I want us to to begin by just talking about what is a proverb in the first place. This is an example of a proverb that we find in Scripture, but there are lots of proverbs that we know that aren't in Scripture. One, for example, the pen is mightier than the sword. You've heard that before, right? That's an English proverb. And what that means is that the power of well-written words is often more effective than physical strength or violence. And that is true in many cases. Um, That is a a proverb that, that in general, we take it as being true. Uh, The definition of a proverb is a short, well-known saying stating a general truth or piece of advice. So the pen is mightier than the sword is an example of a proverb. Another proverb that we know, an apple a day, yes, keeps the doctor away. Now, what that proverb is saying, the advice or the wisdom that's in that is, if you have healthy eating habits, then you will be healthier, right? That that there's a direct relation to what we put in our bodies and how we eat. And how healthy we will be. And those are two examples of Proverbs. But those Proverbs are meant to communicate a general truth. Not a specific, literal, absolute truth. Right? That's why it's a proverb. The pen is mightier than the sword. If I'm in a real fight, I don't want to be the guy with the pen. I want the sword. Because literally, if I'm in a, the pen is not mightier than the sword if somebody's about to cut my head off. 
Okay, so we understand that we, we don't take that proverb literally, but we understand that there's, there's a truth in that. Okay, the same thing uh, is uh, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Well, we don't, we don't take that as to say if we literally eat an apple every day that we'll never have to go to the doctor for our entire lives. That's unrealistic for us to think that. Um, and, and it's not always true either, is it? Because sometimes we've seen stories of incredibly healthy people, people who are way healthier than me, who have way healthier lifestyles and eating habits than I do, whose lives are even cut short because of sickness, because of disease, because of illness. So we know that in general, these proverbs contain truth, but they're not absolute truths. Uh, they're, they're, they're not meant to be taken literally. So you say, okay, Eric, well, I get what you're saying about those Proverbs, but we're talking about the Bible here. This is like serious stuff. Aren't we supposed to read the Proverbs in the Bible differently than we hear Proverbs like an apple a day? Aren't those different? And I think the answer to that question is yes and no. And you say, well, what is that? Why, why do you say that? It's obvious. We know because of what God's word says of itself. In in 2 Timothy 3.16, says that the Bible, all scripture is God-breathed, right? It's divinely inspired through the writers of scripture and that we can trust it, that it is full of wisdom and truth. It exceeds any knowledge or wisdom that man can come up with. It is divine. It is inerrant. It is the one and only word of God. And so we should regard everything in this book as that. But when we study the scriptures and we study their initial intent, the answer can also be no. Because this is the book of Proverbs. The Proverbs were never meant to be literal, specific commands, but they were meant to express a generalized truth. And so you say, okay, Eric, I'm, I'm, uh, I want you to track with me, so I want to show you a couple of examples. If we look in Proverbs chapter 26 and verse 4, it says this, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. Okay? Principle in that verse. You know those people who will argue with you until the cows come home because they are convinced they're right, but you know that they don't know what they're talking about? <laughs> That's what this proverb is about. It's about those people who foolishly think that they're right, who will continue to argue and argue and argue in circles with you, even though you know good and well that they're not right. The advice in that proverb? Just leave them be. Don't, don't argue with them. If, if, if they are convinced that they are right, they will argue with you forever and ever. Just let them be because if you try to argue with them too much, it brings you down to their level. So don't, don't be dragged down to the level of somebody who is, who is always trying to argue all the time. It's okay to just say, you know, sometimes you just want to go, okay, whatever, and let them be. So that's Proverbs 26.4. And you say, everybody agree that in many circumstances, that's an applicable, truthful proverb, right? Okay, go to the very next verse, verse 5. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. 
Okay, I thought verse 4 just said, don't answer a fool. Just kind of leave him be. But now verse 5, the verse right after that, says answer a fool according to his folly. And what this proverb means is that if you have the chance to correct somebody who is ignorant to the truth, do it. If they, if they think they have a, a grasp of the truth, if you don't correct them, they'll have a false wisdom in their own eyes that's not really the truth. So verse 5 says, answer a fool according to his folly. When you hear somebody say something foolish and you know it's not correct, correct them. Because you don't want them to continue on in their foolishness and have this false wisdom that they think they have but they really don't. Does that sound like an applicable, truthful, good advice proverb? Yes. But don't those two seemingly, if we were to take them as commands, they would contradict one another. If we were to take them as promises, it would be like, wow, well, this verse says this, but then this verse says this. That's confusing. Here are two biblical proverbs. Do they both teach entirely opposite truths? Yes. Are they both correct and applicable? Yes. Do they contradict one another? No. The only way they contradict one another is if we misinterpret them as specific commands rather than general truth. So this is something that we need to know and understand as we study this proverb and, and the book of Proverbs. The truths in the book of Proverbs were meant to be a collection of holy principles, not a list of hard promises. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. It's intended, the Proverbs were intended to be a list of holy principles, not hard promises. It is, it is the wisdom of God. Not the promise of God. So let's go back to, to verse 6 of chapter 22. Start children off on the way they should go. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. I'm afraid that over the years, too many people have interpreted this proverb as a command and as a promise. When it's not really meant to be a promise. There's two ways that I think we've misunderstood what this proverb means. One is that we've put a heavy weight on Christian parents. Making them the sole determining factor for the faith of their children. Two things that we've drawn falsely from this proverb is, is this. One, if you raise your kids to love the Lord, they will. And two... If you raise your kids to love the Lord and they stray away from the faith, they will eventually come back. But the problem with that is that those two things aren't always true. There have been so many parents who have done everything they know how to do. They have honored the Lord with their own lives. They followed him Intimately, they have raised their children with 
teaching them spiritual disciplines. They've raised them to love the church. They've raised them to love Jesus. They've taught them the truths of Scripture, what is right and what is wrong. And still, even in the midst of that, their kids walk away from the faith. And some have been praying and praying and praying and praying for their wayward children to come back home to the faith. And they haven't. And so what that does, a misinterpretation of this proverb has put a weight on families. And and we have parents in our churches who are looking at their wayward children and saying to themselves, it's my fault. If I had only done more, if I could have been a more faithful parent, if I could have taught them more about how to love Jesus, then, then things would be different because, because that verse is there. And that verse says that if we do this, then this will happen. And, and, but that's not true in my life. What's wrong? It must be my fault. And I don't think that's ever what God intended this proverb to do or to mean. I've also seen the reason we know that this can't be an an absolute truth promise from God is because we've seen the opposite. Growing, uh, as, as, as I've had years in student ministry and dealt with kids and teenagers, I have seen teenagers and children who come from some of the most dysfunctional, godless homes with the most absent, unbelieving parents And they are the ones who grow to be some of the most mature, strongest followers of Jesus I've ever met in my entire life. So, where does that put us? What about those kids? What about the ones who who end up on the right path with no help from their parents at all? With no guidance from their parents? With no training from their parents? Does that make this proverb a lie? Does that make God's word fallible? Does that mean this isn't an inspired truth because it's not always true? The answer is no. That is not what that means. Because it's not intended to be a hard promise. It's intended to be a holy principle. It's not, it's different. When the scriptures of the Old Testament, when the prophets would open their mouths and the prophets would say, thus saith the Lord, and they would speak, those were the promises of God. Those were the commands of God. This is, the Proverbs are not the same as those. When Jesus would teach and he would be before the people and he would open his mouth and you would read in the scriptures and he would say, very truly I say to you, and he would speak a truth. Those are the things that we know are the promises, the letters, the the epistles. Those things are spoken with authoritative commands and promises. The book of Proverbs in the Old Testament is different. It has a different intent. It doesn't carry the same, uh, not that it doesn't carry the same weight, but it doesn't carry the same constant solidity that the promises of Scripture hold and the commands of Scripture hold. So the other way I'm afraid that we've misinterpreted it is that we've missed the urgency of the principle. 
because we've misunderstood this as a promise, we've, we've missed that there's an important principle here that, it, that should make it even more urgent for us. And this is the thing about wisdom. We call the book of Proverbs wisdom literature. And that's, that's what that portion of scripture is designated as. And here's the, here's the tricky thing about wisdom. Is that for us to be able to apply wisdom, we have to use wisdom. We can't just read sayings like this and just do them without... It takes wisdom to be able to apply a principle of wisdom in our life. And so we have to take the wisdom of God and put it into our life and say, all right, what, what does this mean and what is the best way for me to apply this wisdom? So it takes wisdom to use wisdom. So the question now is, what is the wisdom of this verse? If it's not a promise, if it's not a command, what, what is it for us and what are we supposed to pull from it? So let's look at it. Let's look at it piece by piece. The beginning of that verse says, Start children off in the way they should go. Most of your Bibles may say, train up a child. That's the phrase that we hear most often. Train up a child in the way they should go. If you begin to examine the Hebrew language and what what those words mean, it's really difficult to translate the full meaning of, of those words, those Hebrew phrases and verbs, into English sometimes. That, that beginning, start children off or train up a child, that Hebrew verb is only used four times in the Old Testament. Three of those times, it's used as a word that talks about dedicating or consecrating something to the Lord. And the other three, uh, that is what the word means. It means to dedicate or consecrate something, to set something apart. For a specific purpose. But three of those instances in the Old Testament have to do with dedicating buildings, structures. There's only one place where that word is used in regards to people. And it's right here. To dedicate. It, when, it, when that verse says to start children off or to raise up a child, it means to set them apart. It means to dedicate them, to consecrate them for a specific purpose. And what is that purpose? To honor the Lord. So we train up a child. We, we, we dedicate or set them aside. For what? It says on, on the way they should go. This phrase is more focused on an intentional, sustained, God-dependent shepherding of our children's hearts. As they grow into adulthood. That's what this is talking about. So, what, so we are to raise them up in what? It says on the way they should go. Or in the way they should go. Now if we apply this principle to ancient culture. If I had a son. And I was a carpenter. What way would I raise my son up? To be a carpenter. Right? If I was a farmer, I would raise my child up in the way of being a farmer. Any profession like that, it, it, it's, it's an image of in the way they should go, 
the literal translation could also be according to his ways. Meaning that the way they should go isn't necessarily the same for everybody. Parents would raise up their children in the way they would go as to follow in the footsteps of their parents. We see it even in the New Testament. Jesus was known around Galilee as the son of what? He was the son of a carpenter. Because that's what Joseph was. And it's very, uh, it's, it, we know that Joseph would have raised Jesus, would have trained him up in the ways of being a carpenter. So in essence, what this verse is, is part of what this verse is saying is that there are ways that are passed on from generation to generation. And in this Hebrew culture, there would have been, if I had raised my kids in the ways of being a carpenter, then they would have done the same with their kids. They would have raised them up in the ways of being a carpenter. And their kids would raise their kids up in the way. And it was something that was passed from generation to generation. But this culture is a little different, isn't it? Because we don't necessarily do that. Our kids have so many options for who they can be and what they can become. And what is it that we tell our kids from a very young age? You can be whoever you want to be, right? We don't raise up our kids and say, well, because I don't tell my boys because I'm a preacher. I'm going to teach you how to be a preacher too so that one day you can. <laughs> some, days, some days I want to tell them, don't be a preacher. You don't necessarily expect or our culture doesn't dictate that your children have to follow in the trade or in the profession that you do. Because there's so many options for them to learn. There's so many opportunities for education. They can go to any number of schools and learn any kind of track. Whatever it is their heart is passionate about. Whatever direction it is that their life sets for them. They can, they can go. They can go in that direction. They can learn. So it's as if this verse is saying, train up a child in love for God according to whatever direction it is that they are going to go. If they're going to be a nurse, train them up in the ways of faith on that way that they're going. If they're going to grow up to be, if, if they're, they're going to be a mechanic, Train them up to honor the Lord with what it is they're doing. If they're going to be a teacher, train them up to live the principles that you're passing down onto them as a teacher. In whatever way, according to the way that they will go, train them up. Teach them. Equip them. As our children grow in into the unique people that God has created them to become, we have the chance to train them to honor the Lord on their way. So what happens when we do that? The proverb, again, not a hard promise, but a general truth. If we do that, even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Again, this is not a guarantee. But it is a God-ordained general truth. 
that we see the reality of. Most of the time, the influence and training that we provide our kids is going to set them on a course for the rest of their life. And we as parents can see that. We can see the tendencies, the things that we intentionally or unintentionally train up in our kids. We see it come out of them. How, how often do you look at your kids and go, wow, that's just like me? <laughs> or wow, that sounds just like me? Or wow, they act just like me? There's a reason for that. Because your influence is so great in the life of your children. And listen, let me tell you this, and this is the youth pastor in me coming out, okay? You are the single greatest influence in your kid's life. Not their friends. As much as we love teachers, not teachers, not the pastor, not the children's minister, you are. You are the greatest single influence in the life of your child. Now, if our lack of influence or if our influence is, is negative, sometimes because of God's grace, he will put other people in the lives of our kids to guide them in the way that he desires for them to go when we aren't doing it. And I've seen that happen so often. But I want to say to you as parents, and especially these young families who have little ones, I want to say to you, do not forfeit the responsibility that God has given you to spiritually train your children. Do not give that over to the church. Because it is not the responsibility that God has given the church. He's given that responsibility to you. Our goal and our role is to come alongside you as a family and help you, to equip you, to encourage you, to do everything we can to help make sure that that discipleship process is going on in the home. And where we have messed up, where we have messed up over the years in the model of church for the past 50, 100 years is that we've created this model that fools parents into thinking, if I just drive through the parking lot and dump my kids off at the church, I'll let somebody else train them spiritually because, and then I won't have to. If that's maybe your way of thinking, let me just ask you, how has that worked out for you? Because I'm pretty sure it's not working real well. It's because that's not the way it was designed to be. It's your responsibility it's your goal it is my responsibility to train my boys on how to honor Christ with their lives now I'm grateful as a parent for people like Ashton for people like Sunday school teachers we as a church family come together and that's why you make a commitment with these families that were up here today because you are a part of that process but the primary influence, the one that this verse is talking to, is not to the church. Proverbs 22.6 is directed to parents. Train up your child. And I want us to consider that word training. We've already said that that phrase in the Hebrew means to dedicate, to set something apart for a specific purpose. Before we can really train our kids in the right direction, we have to know what's the, what's the end goal 
Where is it that we want to see them end up at the end? And then figure out how do we train them to get there. And the word training, I think we have substituted. I think we have substituted this verse in our application to say, tell a child the way he should go. Or show a child the way he should go. But that's not what that verse says. It says, train up a child in the way they should go. Completely different. I'm pretty sure that if I want one of my boys to be able to throw a good curveball, I can try to tell them how to throw a good curveball. I can find videos on YouTube where someone can show them how to throw a good curveball, but they will never be able to throw a good curveball until they get on the field with somebody who knows how to do it and can get their hands dirty with them and train them how to throw a curveball. And what investment do we put in the lives of our kids so that they can do things like throw a curveball or, or play an instrument or be a great musician or be great at, at whatever activity or passion that they have? Absolutely, you want to do that. You want to pour into that. You want to feed that. When, when Tyler was little, in, in like first grade, his music teacher came to us and said, hey, he's... Like, he's extraordinary. He's not like the other kids when we beat sticks in music class. She came to us and said, like, he's playing rhythms that the other kids can't play. And it's a natural thing in him. You, should, you, need, to tra- you need to invest in that and train that. And so we did. We tried, to, we tried to give him things that would help him. I didn't know how to play the drums. I didn't have a clue. I would try, and I couldn't do it because I wanted to be the one to teach him. I couldn't teach him. So we had to find somebody who did know how to train him to do that. And then sometimes God put the ability in him where he trained himself a lot, a, a lot of ways. But what kind of investment, if I just pour all of my influence in him into making sure he's a good drummer, what have I done with this? What have I trained him to be, a good drummer? I want to train him up to be a man of God is what I want to train him to be. And if he can play drums while he's being a man of God, that's even, that's great. If your kid can be an extraordinary athlete while they're being a man and woman of God, absolutely do it. If they can be an incredible musician while being an incredible man or woman of God, then, then invest in that and do it. But, but do not substitute one of those things for that. When we do, we're setting them on a course that we're not sure they'll ever find their way back from. Because we said, Proverbs is a general truth. It's not a promise. So whatever path you are training your children up in will be the path that you can expect them to follow. That's what this verse means. In general, most of the time, 
Whatever path we are actively training our kids to follow, they're going to follow. And so the question that this poses for us this morning is not, am I influencing my kids down a certain path? The question is, what path are we influencing our kids to follow? In the way they should go, what is that way? What is that way that they're going, and how are we influencing that? Is it a path toward God? Is it a path toward discipleship? Is it a path toward dedicating their entire lives to the truth of God's word and to follow after him obediently? Or are we training our kids to chase another pattern, chase another way, hoping that maybe down the road they'll figure out how to love God by themselves? And you say, Eric, I thought you said that, that this wasn't a guarantee. And you're right. Proverbs 22, 6 isn't a guarantee. But there's the urgency in it. The fact that it's not a guarantee should make us even more determined and increase the urgency that we do everything we possibly can to invest in the spiritual growth of our kids because even when we do that faithfully, it may still not turn out that way. But do you want your neglect of this principle to contribute to that ending up being the result of your kids' lives? If any of my boys are ever going to end up outside the faith, if any of them, God forbid, are ever going to walk away from God and never come back, I don't think I could live with the fact of knowing that I didn't try everything that I possibly could. So the proverb is, if you... Invest if you train up, walk alongside your kids, get your hands dirty. If you want your kids to grow in the way of a godly marriage, you have to let them see a biblical godly marriage in your home. If you want your kids to grow to love Jesus' church and to serve the church, you have to have them with you and train them as you are serving the church and as you are growing. And if you do that as faithfully as you can, the hope in this proverb is that most of the time, whatever path you set your kids on, they're going to follow. But for some of us, it hasn't worked out that way. But there's still hope in that verse to know that that could still be true for us, even if our kids have walked away. The bottom line is where our kids end up ultimately is in the hands of God. And it's ultimately up to them and their choice. But don't you want to do everything you can to help lead them to that so that they can make that decision on their own and they can come into the kingdom?